Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law. I am a BBC Radio 5 Live tennis commentator. I also work for BT Sports, who I'll be with next week for the Beijing tournament from the WTA. This week, it's Wuhan and various other tournaments. There's one in Chengdu and in Seoul. And I am happy to say I'm joined Again, by Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport. Catherine, it's been a while. You weren't with us in the Davis Cup last week. Where were you? What were you doing? Why were you not on the tennis podcast? Well, I was watching the Davis Cup, but from the comfort of uh, of my home, and uh, yeah, just sl- uh, doing the world's slowest recovery from jet lag. I think it's taken me about two weeks, but I'm just about there. And your record for sleeping in one session was. 14 hours. I managed 14 hours on on one night. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? 14 hours. I think I managed that in about four nights. Anyway, uh, there we go. Catherine Whittaker back with us, back in the land of the living now, having uh, got back on something resembling normal uh, UK time. And we have plenty to talk about today, Catherine. We have uh, lots to review in terms of the tournaments that have just gone. We've got our tennis podcast Davis Cup debate which is on the back of the announcement by the ITF that they are looking at proposals for change with the Davis Cup. We're going to be hearing the views of the British Davis Cup captain Leon Smith, Greg Rosetsky, Paul McNamee, who was a long-time great doubles player and, of course, Davis Cup player, plus a former Australian Open tournament director. Uh, we, We had Twitter conversation with all of them over the course of the last week. So we'll be bringing you their views on the Davis Cup and what should be done with it. Colin Fleming as well, uh, current doubles player, and Catherine Whitaker and I will chime in with our thoughts and, and let you know what the Twitterati have been saying over the past week as well. We'll have pole vault. Catherine, you'll be delighted to know. God, you've just used the words Twitterati and pole vault all in one sentence. Is, can I resign from the tennis podcast? Is, is that something I can do? <laughs> Past. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening for the past four and a half years to the Tennis Podcast. We've now finished for good. (laughs) 
You may yeah. laugh, Catherine, but that's it. That's it. If you pull me up any more, it's over. Anyway, we're going to do that. We're also going to, and I tell you what, we've got some good talking points on Pole Vault this week. You're going to love it, Catherine. I'm telling you, I'll win you oh, over this I'm, week with it. I'm feverish with anticipation, David, honestly. I can tell. I can tell I'm thrilled by that, by that uh, feverish anticipation. Uh, and over the next uh, week, uh, the big tournament in Wuhan particularly will take our attention with Johanna Conta trying to qualify for Singapore, the WTA finals. Serena Williams is out. Uh, she's pulled out of that tournament with her shoulder problem. Loads to talk about. We'll get on to all of that. But Catherine Whitaker, first of all, what was your impression of the Davis Cup weekend that we saw and, and the remarkable comeback? from Britain to get back to two all I suppose it wasn't that remarkable it was Andy Murray doing what he does and and beating people with the help of his brother and then eventually a fantastic performance from Leonardo Meyer who defeated Dan Evans in the final one but but it was uh it was another good weekend wasn't it and uh great performance from Croatia but ultimately goes down as a disappointment for Britain doesn't it it does, yeah. I mean, I think probably, you know, taking the the biased GB hat off, frankly, the uh, the most remarkable uh, performance or aspect of the weekend uh, probably goes to Leo Meyer and his performance against Dan Evans. He really took my breath away. I mean, any, I think anybody would have struggled to beat him playing in that form. And, and we know that the Argentines... Uh, can do that playing at home. I, I know that oh, I've I've not been to a home Davis Cup tie in Argentina, but I've heard in great detail about what an atmosphere that is, how well the players respond to it, and, and that he was able to produce that kind of inspired performance away from home, I found incredibly impressive. I think Dan Evans was a little bit disappointing. He didn't deal very well with with the hot streak that Maya was on, but even had he dealt better with it, I think Maya was pretty unbeatable and obviously I think the tie will be remembered for the Del Potro Murray match that kicked it all off but perhaps Leo Meyer should should be um, the most remembered of all the individual players over the weekend because he really did his country proud. Yeah I'd agree with that I thought he was superb. Um, Now we had uh, some really notable results over the past week. I, I think pretty much every tournament we had the main tournaments. There were other results such as uh, Alessia Serenko winning in Guangzhou and uh, Arubarena winning in Seoul. But the other three tournaments, I mean, I'm not trying to uh, do those two players down, but I feel as though the other three tournament results really yielded some significant moves, both for players past and present. I mean, if we, we start with Tokyo and the victory for Caroline Wozniacki, I mean, this is a continuation of her excellent run at the US Open when she beat Svetlana Kuznetsova and got through to the semi-finals but not only the fact that she won the tournament the player she beat in the final a player that all of us have just bowled over with in terms of excitement levels and and character and, and charisma but also potential is Naomi Osaka of Japan who I saw her beat uh, Alina Svitolina in the round before and it, it's just a joy to watch her play the game. Yeah, I, I am so excited about Naomi Osaka. I've spoken about her a lot on the podcast over the last year. I first saw her in the flesh in Singapore uh, last year when she was, she was playing the Rising Stars event there. She's still only 18. She's uh, very off beat and sort of interesting and uh, unguarded off the court she just is what she is I hope she stays that same raw character she has this utterly charming relationship with the Japanese press because she is half Japanese half 
Haitian, lived a lot of her life in America. She doesn't speak very good Japanese, but obviously she represents Japan, feels Japanese. So she sort of has these press conferences with the Japanese press where they ask her questions in Japanese and she sort of... She tries to respond in Japanese, but ends up going into English and then and then sort of cursing herself. And, and she's just utterly charming. And her game is just enormous and so exciting. And uh, I know what happened to her at the US Open was, was devastating at the time, crying in the corridors afterwards. But I feel that just was, remind us what what did happen, Catherine. She was was she five one up in the deciding set. Sounds about right. I'm having a mind blank. Who was she playing? Wasn't Madison Yankee? Keys. Yeah, Madison Keys. There we go. Five one up uh, with the home crowd obviously against her. It could even have been five anyway. And she was crying afterwards, crying in the corridors, desperately upset. And there's no doubt she she did throw that one away but that's you know it reminded me of Zverev against Nadal uh, in was that Indian Wells or Miami earlier this year when he had the match point and and missed the volley it's a rite of passage for these young players and we'll come on to Zverev in a moment and what he's doing now and his incredibly advanced development for his age that what happened at the US Open will make Osaka a better player and I I think her potential is unlimited I I would be very surprised if she doesn't end up a a world number one at some point in the future blimey Catherine Whittaker that that is going out on a limb in true tennis podcast style future world number one anointed just on the basis of our opening conversation about her really i mean okay we've mentioned her in dispatches earlier on but that is that's a big prediction catherine i'm well and truly proud yeah i just i just i don't know i i I, yeah i really really believe in her her uh, she needs to improve the second serve there's a big disparity between the first and second serve at the moment uh, and I, I remember seeing her against Azarenka at the Australian Open I'd been very excited about that match and, and she played slightly strange tactically she's got this huge first serve and she was taking a lot of pace off the first serve I think because she didn't have the confidence in her second serve so obviously there are things to work on but I mean her game is enormous i love her temperament i love how much she wants it she can seem a bit sort of too cool for school perhaps off the court but what i saw um at the us open that match against madison keys and how she reacted to lose losing it proved to me everything i needed to know about how much she wants it and i think she could be a megastar of women's tennis if she fulfills her potential i really do believe that couple of uh, notes about her having watched the matches she played in Tokyo last week. Uh, I was watching on BT Sport where Sam Smith was commentating on her and, and Anki Othavong. They were both getting very excited about her potential. A couple of observations that Sam made during one of her matches was that I think she took a really lengthy end of set break at the end of set two against Selena Svitolina and Svitolina didn't look particularly happy about it and Sam Smith mentioned that she kind of carries herself, Osaka, a little bit like Serena Williams in terms of, I'll just do things in my own good time. And, you know, if there are consequences, so be it. But she doesn't get flustered. She doesn't seem to to get overly concerned about the the repercussions of, of her actions. It, it's just she's going to do it her way. And, uh, and actually, I think generally her, her, her presence on a tennis court is not dissimilar 
to Serena Williams in terms of, of what I've seen anyway, the little bit that I've seen. The other thing I was curious about, I don't know whether you got a sense of this at all in Singapore. You, you said that her, her press conferences with the Japanese media were interesting in that she doesn't speak the greatest Japanese. How did they respond to her as, as a, as a media? Are, are they, are they fully behind oh, her they and, and excited her by her potential? Or? And are very excited by, uh, oh, they completely embrace her and are charmed by her. I think in the way that everybody, everybody is. I mean, obviously it's, it's a very bizarre, unusual situation having a, well, it, it could apply this to any country in any language, but a, a Japanese tennis player that doesn't speak Japanese obviously that's unusual and that's um I mean I'd be very interested to speak to to someone from the Japanese media about it and how they how they deal with that and getting quotes from it so I mean a lot of the Japanese media speak very very good English so it's it's less of a, a problem for them and I'm sure they share out and translate quotes I'm sure they have a system of, of dealing with it but it obviously is very unusual but they absolutely embrace her and I think they see that you know she's taking Japanese lessons in her spare time she's working really really hard on that it's not you know her attitude to it is fantastic and and as I say she's just so charming about it she really really wants to try you know when I was moderating press conferences in in Paris I would always say you know you don't you don't have to do Japanese if you don't feel comfortable you know she's a young girl it's an awful lot of pressure to sit in an enormous you know she was in the main press conference room I think she reached the third round in Paris and that was quite a big deal you know it's a big deal having and the Japanese press corps is enormous there's you know 25 of them in every press conference um but she was determined to give it a go and even if she had to answer in English she she would she had definitely come on leaps and bounds in terms of understanding uh, the Japanese and yeah they completely embrace her it's hard not to feel warm towards her no matter what nationality you are i think aside from the the sheer uh, physical and and game elements to to what naomi osaka is and is going to be in terms of her potential a lot will determine as well on how she approaches it mentally won't it because that's what separates the best from the rest really isn't it uh, and and that i think we'll only discover in the course of time now two other big winners over the course of the last week st petersburg first atp title for alexander zverev you mentioned it before he beat stan vavrinka in the final it's the first final vavrinka has lost in the last 12 he'd won 11 in a row and zverev beat him 7-5 in the in the third i mean i know he had a bit of a wobble in the summer it didn't go too well for zverev and he lost fairly convincingly in the end to, to Dan Evans. One but of I mean, Dan Evans' many ev- victims. <laughs> well, you know, and many more to come, no doubt. But Zverev, it's understandable that he creates this excitement. And and he also, not all the time, but he's backing it up with big wins. I mean, he, he beat Burdick last week. He beat Vavrinka. You don't beat these players in, on centre courts unless you've got it. Oh, yeah, he's going to be number one as well, for sure. Hold on a minute. How many number ones we're going to have? Well, different, okay, yeah. different gender. So we've got room for both of them. So, so hold on a minute. Do you think Osaka and Zverev will at the same time be world number one at some point? Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't bet against that being a scenario. Yeah, I mean Zverev really. Something's got to go really wrong for him not to get to number one. I feel pretty confident of that. I mean, he is only 19. That in modern tennis terms, you know, in terms of his development, 
is nothing. He's absolutely nothing. He's uh, and he's he's six foot six. He's got, we've had Jed's Green on the podcast talking about when he expects him to mature physically, and that's not for you know three or so years. He's got a lot of developing to do, and he is already. So, I mean, perhaps not mature in terms of temperament all the time. There's still a lot of racket smashing and... Uh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. there's there's some aggro. Uh, but he, like Osaka, he carries himself like a champion. It perhaps is a little bit, you know, great. It's precocious and it's um, perhaps a little bit annoying. I don't know. I mean, he, he's definitely got that arrogant air of a champion, but... He knows how good he is. He's, you know, yeah, I mean, he just knows how good he is. And he he really, really is good. I mean, he's the first teenager to win a tour title for eight years. Marin Cilic was the last one. He uh, won a title in New Haven eight years ago. You know, not even Nick Kyrgios won a title as a teenager. That is how good he is. And, uh, yeah, perhaps not in terms of his temperament, but in terms of his game i'm so impressed with his maturity his patience you know he's he's six foot six he's got these enormous weapons but he's got you know often you see young players that have those weapons they just want to use them all the time and unleash them at every possible opportunity whereas he's prepared to to be really patient bide his time and and, until the exact right moment to unleash um his his immense weapons and that's Really, really impressive. And, and Vavrinka, okay, you know, he didn't play the absolute lights out match he played in the final uh, in New York, but he played a decent match yesterday, a little bit patchy, but basically a decent match. And Zverev beat him fair and square from love three down in the decider as well. I mean, just so impressive. And I, I think that's uh, that's comes from the fact that he has such a solid base to his game. He doesn't need to rush. Uh, you mentioned uh, Nick Kyrgios, Catherine. I, it would be remiss of us not to run a pole vault a little bit ahead of time, and we usually do, we're going to do that in part three of the show. But in part one, we can have a quick pole vault here uh, in our in our review week because uh, uh, we asked who's going to win a slam first out of Kyrgios and Zverev, or will neither of them win one? What what do you think? Go on, Zverev, Zverev. Without question. I mean, uh, yeah, I have ultimate faith in him. He's going to make it. Something has to go really wrong. I think he has to get a terrible injury or, or I, don't, I don't know. I, I, he uh, Something really has to go wrong for him not to, to get to the very top of the game, I think. Uh, he will win a slam within, uh, certainly within three years, possibly within two. Um, and uh, I'm starting to doubt whether Nick Kyrgios will ever win a slam he obviously he could the the potential in him to win a slam is not up for debate of course he does but he's really got some getting his act together to do for that to happen and at, at the moment I, I don't see massive signs of progress so yeah I'm I'm backing Zverev at the moment well, I've got a good deal more uh, faith in Nick Kyrgios than you have then because uh, I think uh, I think he will win a slam. I think if you put the two of them up against each other right now, I think Kyrgios would win a, a match in two tight sets between the two. Plus, I was quite enthused by the fact that Kyrgios has now, it seems to me, accepted that at the US Open where he really wanted to, to achieve and he went out trying to achieve but his body let him down that you cannot just turn it on and off like a tap now whether he sticks to this is another matter of course but he the understanding is that he is intending to build a bit of a team around him uh, a physio a, a fitness trainer somebody that can build that foundation that i think 
Zverev is starting to build and has been building for a while. You mentioned Jez Green. Kyrgios has got to do that. I think the, the penny has dropped. Now, whether whether it stays like that is another matter, but I, I have faith anyway. We, we, we will see. Who's going to win a slam first out of the two? Ooh, I'd still just about say Kyrgios, but it, it, it is close. It is close, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch their progress. What about Luca Pui, Catherine? Because he also became a first-time title winner in Mets last week, beating... Mr. Ubiquitous Dominic Team, who just can't stop playing tennis oh, uh, in the final. What's he doing in Mets? What are you doing in Mets, Dominic? It's what's nice he Mets. doing nice. playing a 250? I'm sure it's great, but oh gosh, I just want to grab him and shake some sense into him. I'm not saying nobody should play Mets. I, I think it looked like a great event. And I, I think for Luca Puy, fantastic. I just don't think Dominic Team should have been playing in Mets. Especially not when he pulled out of the US Open with, no. a, with a knee problem. And, uh, no. and, and, and is, is now playing again this week in, uh, I think, is it Chengdu or, uh, or in Yeah, um, he, I mean, he signed Shenzhen? up for all sorts of 250s and 500s. And, and you know, the, it, it's not just my assessment. You know, the evidence is there now in all of the key matches of, of this year in the Grand Slams he has not been able to perform his best either because he's not been able to peak at the right time because he's just been playing so much tennis or his body's let him down or it's just not possible and I get the whole schedules are set way in advance but come on people pe- that that's a dog barking I should that's probably- awesome <laughs> That's up there with, my goodness, so Catherine's walked into a tree, we've had a head-to-head with a bus driver, and now Catherine's just been attacked mid-podcast by uh, what sounds like a yeti of some description. This is a podcast cameo uh, from my parents' dog, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Uh, Well... She's just saying hello to all the listeners. She's saying hello to them one by one. It's, I think it's very important at this point to say that Catherine and I are in different locations and therefore <laughs> I am not going anywhere near wherever you are right now because that dog sounds absolutely Rosie. frightening. Rosie! 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 Come on, come here. Come on, good girl. Good girl, come on. Good girl. Okay, order is restored. <laughs> She's she. We're in strange surroundings. She's trying to protect me from my big bad neighbour who's making a bit of noise. Right. Okay. Fine. Cheers, Rosie. Yeah. Thanks, Rosie. What were we saying? Uh, I, I think we were on the subject of uh, Luca Pui and Dominic Team. Anyway, you you you've, you've made your point about Team. I, I couldn't agree more. I I, I think it is time. <laughs> Maybe that was Team's dog just sent round to <laughs> to sort out Catherine. He does have a Labrador. Could does be. He? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Fun, um, fun Dominic Team fact for you. Yeah, I, I do think uh, he he needs to uh, to address that for for 2017 because this guy, even with with all the the overplaying that that he's been doing, and incidentally, I'm watching Carolina Pliskova right now uh, in Wuhan, and I mean, there's a player who a year ago was doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, I think she's reined it in a little bit this year still think she could do it more there she is in the US Open I've final, heard you know? that team is planning to play Brisbane and Sydney before the Australian Open I mean what's he playing at what is he playing at yeah it's an interesting one that isn't it because I mean he he has it he has it to win the French Open oh, there's no sure. question about it in the next two two years um, uh, anyway so we, we made a point there Luca Pui quickly as a final point on 
our review of last week. What, I mean, that's another... I, what I like about that is he's come straight from the US Open where he's had his big win. He, he disappointed a bit against Monfils in the next round, perhaps ran out of gas. He's come straight out and won a tournament that he kind of should win. And, and I just think that's a good sign. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I love Luca Pui. I love his temperament. I love his game. He seems like a lovely chap. Uh, he's Mats Verlander's current favourite tennis player. And, you know, as Mats Verlander spokespeople, uh, <laughs> that needs to be uh, mentioned. And uh, yeah, I think he's fantastic. He completely won me over um, at the US Open. That was one of my matches of, of the tournament. Uh, it, it, it was glorious watching... Uh, that match against Nadal, sad watching that happen to Nadal. But I mean, yeah, he is truly exciting. He's an example of somebody that, you know, he was talked about when he was Zverev's age, perhaps not as much as Zverev is being talked about. But, um, you know, certainly the French press were very excited about him when he was Zverev's age. And it's just taken him a little bit longer to break through, is it? as it does these days normally. You know, Zverev's the exception now, not the rule. And, uh, yeah, he's still very young. He looks older than he is. I, everybody's always surprised to be reminded uh, that he's only 22. And uh, he is only good for tennis. And him winning a title is only good for tennis. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Catherine, the big talking point of the tennis circuit over the past week off the court has been in response to a lot of discussion about the Davis Cup and the Fed Cup and the formats and what should change. And 
it, it was brought into the spotlight again, wasn't it, really, in those semi-finals at the Davis Cup where you'd got Andy Murray and Juan Martin Del Potro playing, respectively, the longest matches in their careers, respectively, and only a few days after the US Open had finished. So as a result of that, and not, not in direct response to it, but as an example of that, they've been discussing what to do with the Davis Cup, and they've made a number of suggested changes which would all have to go forward through a process before they actually became ratified and actually ended up happening but it does appear that there is some some serious weight behind these proposals from the itf david haggerty the uh, the president of the itf has put his weight behind them as well and uh, and also said that there will be a consultation period with various people within the sport over a couple of them as well but this is in the gist of what they are proposing that the davis cup final becomes a neutral venue rather than the home and away situation that we currently have, that the length of matches, the best of five set format would be looked at as to whether that should change. And also the Fed Cup generally, whether that should become a world group of 16 teams rather than separated groups as they currently are of world group one and world group two. And when they get to the semi-final and final stage, for it to become a final four situation where those matches are played in the same week in a single venue. So those are the the suggestions. What do you think, Catherine? I think the most important and significant thing about all of this is that the ITF are prepared to make changes. You know, just the contemplation of change is the most significant thing here. Because I think for a long time, you know, everybody's been talking about how the Davis Cup at its core is a great thing, but it desperately needs to to change in order to to survive, I suppose, and and to benefit tennis in the way that it should, in the way that, of course, the Ryder Cup complements the rest of the rest of the golf schedule and the golfing world. Um, so that for me is significant. The specifics of what's being proposed i think you know the 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 one that's most vague is uh, the feasibility stuff a full industry consultation sorry is how they're putting it on scheduling alternatives for the 2020 season so look they're prepared to uh, reassess scheduling but there's no specific um solution or revision being proposed at this stage it's just a consultation i think that will be very 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 significant because i think if you asked, if you polled everybody with a stake in tennis at the moment, journalists, and I fully players, intend everybody, to. You fully intend to, yeah. If you polled all of them I, and said you can just change one thing about the Davis Cup, I think scheduling would probably come out top, um, making it kinder to players, making it more um, possible for all the top players to to play all the time. Um, I think scheduling would probably be the one change. So that one is difficult to discuss pros and cons because we don't know what it will be but the fact that they're prepared to look at scheduling is very positive for me i i would like to see the davis cup not be an annual event not because i don't love it and i want to see it less frequently but i want it to be really special i would like i would like it to be basically as similar to the Ryder cup as is possible Really, I think that's the perfect model for the Davis Cup to be looking at. I, the neutral final venue, I'm sort of with Andy Murray on the fact. I don't. I think you would lose something there. I also, I think the revisions to the Fed Cup are positive, but I don't see why the format has to be any different to the Davis to to be any different to the Davis Cup. Why not have mirror mirrored formats for the two? I, I don't 
and you know personally i would like to combine the two i think the the best thing for tennis would be a combined men's and women's team style format i think that would just be marvelous but you know i I understand the reasons why that perhaps can't happen look i think basically i might not they might not be the exact changes that you know if i was head of tennis i would instigate but i think the whole general feeling of you know we're considering change we're not burying our heads in the sand is a good thing yeah, and I certainly, I certainly think looking at you know, match formats and reducing it to best of three is a good thing. Yeah, I certainly like the fact that there is there is a clear acceptance that things are maybe not ideal, and I think that, that, that David Haggerty's arrival seems to have uh, ignited a, a conversation and, and a move forward in that regard. Now, when we put this out on Twitter, Catherine at Tennis Podcast, and asked what people think of the ideas, we had lots of different comments. Uh, we had uh, Mahindra who said reducing the Davis Cup format to the best of three would reduce the value of the competition in in his eyes. Uh, David Moreno said to the three uh, proposed changes that I listed, crap, crap, and crap. <laughs> That's what David said. He's not happy with any of them. Um, we, uh, we have uh, Gordon Struth who says, neutral venue is a bad idea. Davis Cup is great for countries like the Czech Republic, Croatia, and Belgium to actually host a major event. Now, we also had some very well-known figures from within tennis responding on Twitter at Tennis Podcast. Greg Rizetsky, a 1997 US Open finalist, said the common sense thing to do would be to have singles, uh, two out of three sets, changing from five to three sets, uh, to play out the third set for singles so that you don't have a tie break in that third set, to have doubles over five sets uh, on the middle day of the tie and to have a davis cup final where the rules stay the same as they are right now uh, so that's quite interesting uh, from greg rozetsky in response to that we then had the current great britain davis cup captain leon smith getting involved who said that we should definitely have the best of three sets uh, for, for matches rather than the current five-set format. And he, and he was very strong on that. Um, he said, the neutral venue, though, is a long debate, but I'm I'm sure that best of three sets is the way forward. So, I mean, that's a pretty strong person to have backing a change to the system. Uh, Colin Fleming, Great Britain doubles player, said, I think the neutral venue idea is a bad one keep it as it is best of three sets i like though um we also had uh paul mcnamee who was the uh, the former australian open tournament director of of many years and one of the great doubles players uh that the game has has ever known him and peter mcnamara you may remember were were at the sharp end of, of on the Grand Slams for many, many years. He he was very, very vocal on this. What, one particular proposal that he came up with, which I found very interesting, was that he said you should just move the dates for a start for, for each tie and play them Thursday until Saturday rather than Friday until Sunday because that way you're not messing up two separate weeks of the uh, of the tournament calendar. And you, you finish in time for players to get to the next event. You can have Friday as the as the doubles day, effectively, and play that in an evening. Because people were saying, "Well, how are people going to get to this?" You know, they used to, it's 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 often played over the weekend, which is which is a better way of doing it. But he thinks that uh, a Friday night would work. Um, he says matches are too long, but what should happen rather than going to three sets, you should still have 
it over five, but you should play four complete sets, and the fifth set, a two sets all, should become a match tiebreak. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I still think best of three sets, but that's that's better than sticking with best of five, I think. It's, Very it's, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, so, so much debate. Great to hear all of these people um, putting their, their views forward. He wasn't a fan of, uh, of three sets, but he's absolutely adamant that Davis Cup ties must finish on a Saturday in his eyes. Uh, and he's also completely opposed to the idea of the neutral venue for the final. I, I think where I would come from on that is... Having the final at a neutral venue and keeping everything the same, aside from that, more or less throughout the year, to me, strikes of kind of solving a problem where there isn't a problem. Um, And I think the final is great. I mean, it's always a sellout. It's always packed with people from the home country, creating that amazing home and away atmosphere. I, I, I like the idea of it being in one place. I, I like the idea of it being every two years, as you say. Now, whether that could be done, I, I just don't know because there's so much that, that would be involved to keep any of the elements that are currently there. But for me, I remember when David Haggerty first came along, he was talking about a final four for the Davis Cup. And that appears to have been shelved. I just think there's been too much opposition from what I can gather from countries who, who don't want that scenario. And, and I would have thought that if you're going to play it in a neutral venue, you're better off making it a final four so you can at least have make more of a week of it. Um, and more, more specifically, if you're going to have a neutral venue, you really kind of need to have the whole thing played there for me for, for a week or 10 days or whatever it might be so that you get everybody in one place. You can really sell it as this this almost like the team Grand Slam, which is what it surely is meant to be after all. And and that I think you could really create some, some great television interest in and, and, and have it as a proper event every two years. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, th- I think um, there's there is a proposal to be made for a neutral venue, but for me, that then should be you know like like the Euros or the World Cup. It should be a, a group, you know, round robin with with finals, ev- everything played. Well, like the Ryder Cup, that's the best example. I I think that should be the template. Um, well, I suppose actually Ryder Cup isn't a neutral venue, but uh, so anyway, yeah, there there is a proposal to be made for a neutral venue to to come into it but for me this is neither one nor t'other it's continuing with the same home and away format until the final when the home and away format is at its most wonderful um comes into its you know but i yeah i i think that's yeah it's a solution without a problem Another interesting one uh, as well from Richard Evans, a uh, great tennis broadcaster who we've had as a guest here on the tennis podcast in the fact in the past. He he thinks there should be an eight team, uh, f- a kind of final eight, which is along the lines of what we've been discussing um, over the, over the course of a week. Now, whether you make it a week or, or two weeks or ten days or whatever it is. Yeah, I definitely like that, um, but uh, it doesn't appear that that is the way things are going. I mean, I think what is interesting is the move towards three sets, or at least shortened format matches, that does feel, now regardless of whether I'm anti it or for it, that does appear to be a bit more of a movement towards that now within the sport, not only from those who've been campaigning for it for a long while, but the general 
feel throughout tennis seems to me that people are concerned about the length of matches, both in terms of wear and tear on the body of players and also in terms of keeping fans in their seats. I mean, it's such a long time to sit and, and a lot of people having to get home on the train or, 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 or for work the next hour, whatever it might be. The television schedules are, are an issue as well. It does feel that there is a move afoot at the moment towards shorter matches. And I suspect that whether it's just for half of a slam or uh, throughout everything within tennis will be best of three, except maybe the last few rounds of a slam. It does, a, it does feel like that will eventually come to pass. I mean, I was looking at some some tournament records from 20 years ago, Catherine, and, and uh, players were playing best of five throughout the whole of the Miami tournament, for instance. I mean, that, you know, now it's best of three all the way through. It feels like that is coming. I don't, uh, I don't know if it's coming. I, 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 I see what you mean. It does feel like there's a bit of swirl of opinion at the moment behind that. But, I mean, look, we know how long it takes for things to actually change in tennis. So just there being a bit of swell of opinion at, at the moment, I don't think necessarily means that's going to happen in the five-set format is dying. Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, let's wait and see. Catherine, not convinced here on the Tennis Podcast. But that is our Tennis Podcast Davies Cup debate. Lots to talk about. We've covered as much of it as we can. Do let us know your thoughts at Tennis Podcast. But there are interesting times ahead. Right then, Catherine, your favourite part of the show, Pole Vault, part three. And uh, we have lots of them to get through. Are you excited? No comment. Uh, great. And uh, anyway, let's forget about Catherine for this bit, shall we, folks? And uh, we'll just run straight on. Anyway, I, of course, asked your opinions on the Davis Cup changes that we've just been discussing. And uh, there was the subject of best of five sets or best of three sets at the Davis Cup. Or maybe it should be best of three just for the singles and best of five for the doubles. You lot voted 40% in favour of keeping things exactly as it is. 39% want best of three every day. So very close. And only 21% want to have best of three singles and a five set doubles. So, uh, you know, pretty widespread opinion. Fed Cup, should it go to a 16-team world group with a final four? 71% say yes. Only 29% say no. So that one looks like it's got some support. I tell you, this was an interesting one, Catherine. After last week's run to the, through the semi-finals, in which Britain lost and Andy Murray was on fumes, Charlie Eccleshare from the Telegraph wrote a pretty hard-hitting piece, saying that in his view, it's probably time for Andy Murray to ditch the Davis Cup from his schedule. What, what do you think about that? I mean, he said that you know he's already won it. Uh, it it's if he really wants to get to world number one, if he wants to win Grand Slams, it's time that, that he, he put a stop to playing in the Davis Cup. What do you think? Um, I, I think the factual arguments he was making that piece, it's hard to argue with them. I think, of course, playing Davis Cup comes at a, a cost. You know, he played five and a bit hours against El Pocho. That was the longest match of his career. Of course, that comes at a cost. cost. He looked like a reanimated corpse for the first set of the doubles. I mean, it comes at a physical, mental, emotional cost. But I think Andy Murray is fully aware of that cost, m- more aware of it even than, than we are. You know, he feels that cost in his body. And I think the fact that he continues to play demonstrates to us 
where it lies in his priority list. And therefore, you know, I, I can't argue with that. I could say, you know, it, it might not be that important. Well, actually, I think, well, I, I don't know how I'd feel. It, different players feel differently. And Ch- Charlie Eccleshare in that position obviously wouldn't prioritise winning Davis Cup over other things. And, and it wouldn't be a price he'd be willing to pay. But for Andy Murray, it is. I, I don't think he's in any kind of denial about the cost of that sort of Davis Cup commitment to his career and his body. And I, I I don't feel like he'll have any regrets come the end of his career regarding the Davis Cup. I really don't. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Now, in our poll on the subject, 17% said that, yes, Charlie's right. The slams and number one should be Andy Murray's priority. What do you mean should be? I uh, mean, that's like saying, you know... Getting married and having children should be my priority. How on earth, I find it ridiculous that we're asking people to dictate to Andy Murray what his priorities should be. His priorities are whatever he wants them to be. Sure, but they can have their opinion. O- on yes, what, they can. On what his life career priorities should be. I mean, I don't care what people think what his life career but, but, but priorities maybe, should be. Maybe he'll come to regret it. Maybe he'll come to regret it at the end of his career. And if only you listen to those people voting on pole vault. I think I've made my point. Three <laughs> percent uh, uh, n- say no. Country comes first. Fifty-six uh, percent say no. He decides his priorities. That's your one, Catherine Whitaker, right? Only fifty-six percent of people think Andy Murray should decide his own career priorities. I mean, we don't own <laughs> Andy Murray. He's not. We're all very proud of him, but we've got no. I mean, I find finding this ridiculous. Well, I've got a pretty good shareholding in him, so you can, you know. Uh, and uh, 24% say he should play when his schedule allows. Anyway, that's uh, Catherine's view on everybody's pole vault uh, suggestions. Uh, we also asked you, uh, who would be the first? This is a really good one. Who will be the first to complete the career slam out of Stan and Andy Murray? What do you think, Catherine? Well, the the fact that you said, you're phrasing it like that suggests one or both of them will. I think the most likely scenario actually no, I is also that had, neither. I also had neither. I've also got neither. I think the it. most likely scenario is neither will. Uh, at this stage, it feels quite unlikely that Vavrinka will ever win a Wimbledon. But, you know, five years ago, it felt unlikely that he'd be a three-time Grand Slam champion. So if we've learned anything, it's don't write. Favrinka off from anything uh, and uh, yeah I, I made my point about Murray's chances of winning a career slam I can't believe he will end his career without an Australian Open and therefore it seems to me it's just about whether or not he'll win the French and I think he might but I don't think it's like likely I don't think it's high, likely enough for me to predict that he will win the career slam let's put it that way I think so you're going Murray no I'm going neither you're going, neither will win it. All right, okay. Okay, well, anyway, I've got uh, the, the results here for you. Uh, 30% say that Stan will be the first to co- complete the career slam. Uh, 758 votes in this, by the way. Uh, 27% say Murray. 43% say neither. So, you know, you're, you're, you're backed by the majority, Catherine Whittaker. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure you're absolutely delighted. delighted. Uh, yeah, and, and, and finally, Catherine, player of the year so far. Yeah, well, you you didn't even include Serena Williams in your poll, so I object I've only to got the four choices. Yeah, and three of them were men. I object to the premise of the question, and I resign from this poll vault. Uh, well, uh, hold on, and who should Serena be replacing? 
out of Del Potro, Djokovic, Kerber and Murray. She's reached three Grand Slam finals, one semi-final and won a Grand Slam and she wasn't even in the list of contenders for for Player of the Year. I No, I'm not engaging in this pole vault, David, no. Right, so so who would you kick out then out of Del Potro, Djokovic, Kerber and Murray? If I had to kick someone out, Del Potro. He, he might be the emotional favourite of the year, but he's not had a better year than Serena Williams. Come on. Player of the year, I, love Del I said Potro, player of the year. But no. There's, there's l- lots of different factors coming to player well, of the year. Well, what is uh, it? Is it best player of the year? Is it, I mean... Comes down to your personal feeling, Catherine Whitaker. Personal feeling. Come 31 percent say Del Potro. Thirty-one percent. He's in second place. Djokovic is in joint third place with Murray, both on eighteen percent. But the winner of Player of the Year so far, as uh, judged on the sixteenth of September, was Angelique Kerber with thirty-three percent. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your pole vault for this week. Right then, Catherine. So that's Paul Vaught. Don't you? you clearly enjoyed that? So let's let's look ahead to uh, <laughs> let's look ahead to uh, our preview of this week's tournaments. And we uh, we have Chengdu uh, on the ATP side with uh, uh, Dimitrov and Kyrgios both playing there. In Seoul, Thomas Burdick and uh, Bernard Tomic are both playing. But I think the the real attention is on Wuhan where it's a, a big Premier 5 tournament from a British perspective Johanna Konta won today and is in real running now for the WTA finals in Singapore um, she yeah, amazing yeah, win she, over Annika Beck yeah, very straightforward Decisive, today yeah. and uh, she's up against uh, uh, Zhang Shui yeah and uh, so it's going to be fascinating isn't it to see how she gets along whether she qualifies Nigel Sears today on BT Sport said with some confidence um, uh, and, and conviction that he believes Johanna Conta will definitely make it and get to Singapore. Oh, right. I think she'll probably make it. I perhaps don't feel quite as confident as Nigel says, but yeah, I think she probably will. I'm, I'm pleased that he feels so confident about it. I, I feel quite reassured on her behalf as well, because Nigel tends to know what he's talking about. I suppose there is a big question mark, isn't there, about whether Serena Williams will be part of that field. I mean, she's she's obviously there on points, but she's withdrawn from both Wuhan and um, Beijing next week. Huge tournaments. Obviously, doesn't need mm. to play them for the points. But the, the shoulder injury is cited as the reason. We, we've seen her struggling with that uh, over the course of the summer. And, you know, there has to be that question mark over how bothered is she going to be for the rest of the year? I mean, these are huge tournaments, but but they're huge tournaments to normal tennis players. Serena Williams is a legend of the game who's done everything. She can pick and choose. Things are not going to have the same importance to her as they're going to have to certain other players. And you've got to wonder whether she really wants to put herself th- through all that as well. Yeah, I mean, as it sounds at the moment, I would be surprised, honestly, to see Serena Williams in Singapore. I hope she's there because I think it would be a desperate shame for the tournament again for her not to be there. Um, But yeah, I don't think it's looking great at the moment. No, I know what you mean. It's um, also going to be interesting to see how players like Pliskova, who's playing at the moment and has just won the first set against Safarova and Kerber, are able to back things up. I mean, I, I always find... 
that above just about all other is is what astounds me about these these tennis players their ability to go from week to week and still produce high levels of performance and um i i remember this time last year the the performances that really stood out were were people like Gabinia Magarutha who hit a a great rich vein of form she is struggling at the moment she just can't get going and and also Agnieszka Radvanska a year ago ended up winning the, the the tour finals and, and was just fantastic too so those are the players that I can't, i'm kind of curious to see what they do this year as to whether it's a suitability to the environment that that gets them going or, or whether it just happens to be how much left you have in the tank i mean it it is debilitating isn't it in in wuhan right now i mean today it's been well over 30 degrees humidity everywhere and players retiring left right and center heather watson was one of those today it's it's pretty stifling conditions oh god don't don't talk to me about stifling conditions david it's the the horror of uh, of the, that day in new york is coming back to me yeah it's it's difficult to imagine them when you're not in them which is what i kept saying you know at the time in new york but when you're in them they are all consuming those conditions it, it's it's monstrous that they have to play tennis in that but we still watch and we still enjoy it so what does yeah. that make us <laughs> masochists uh, anyway Catherine, lovely to talk to you as always lovely to have a little cameo from rosie the dog <laughs> she will be del- well she won't know my parents will be delighted about her cameo i'll keep it a secret so that when when they listen they can uh, they can smile to themselves I'll definitely look at lock her in another room because she sounds really <laughs> scary i have to say uh, but anyway she's uh, her bark quite well i don't know what her bite is like because she doesn't bite i am but, not staying uh, close yeah, enough the, to find out the bark out. is misleading she's um yeah, she's soft as butter. Oh, OK. Well, I'll be definitely staying right out of the way so I don't have to find out. Uh, that's about all we've got time for, folks, here on the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back next week to review Wuhan, to look ahead to Beijing and the rest of the tournaments over the autumn period. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it. We'll speak to you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 